As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. Thank you very much to all our supporters of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. So this is our episode one for season three. I just got a report from Buzzsprout that we have over 3,000 downloads. So thank you very much to all our listeners and supporters. I really appreciate the support that you've given us in the past year. So here's just some of the recap of the milestone that we created for this podcast. So as I mentioned, every ending of our podcast, that every time you listen or download to the show, a home is built in the Philippines. So just so you know, there are also other sustainable development goals that were impacted through our partnership with the B1G1 community. So we have impacted No Poverty, which is SDG number one, Sustainable Cities and Communities, which is SDG 11. Quality Education, which is SDG 4. Reduced Inequalities, which is SDG 10. And last but not least is Decent Work and Economic Growth, which is SDG number 8. So thank you so much again for your support and for all the listeners and all the messages that I've received, especially some from the students who said that this has helped them carry on with their studies, learning more about aquaculture. And of course, I cannot send a big, huge of gratitude to all our guests and the partnerships that we've had, specific mentions to all of the business people in the aquaculture industry and the Global Seafood Alliance who had also invited me to be in their podcast. So those are just our VIPs. And of course, all of you listeners are the most important BIP because you made this happen. So anyway, our first episode is about the culmination of ideas from our guests from season two. So this episode is solely dedicated so I can actually put in audio how to solve the regulatory challenges in the aquaculture industries. So there's a big, I guess, clamoring for sustainable partnerships. In some of the episodes, I mentioned that I have these three pillars of sustainability, leadership, partnership, and stewardship. So 
this very much conclude that sustainable partnerships is the end game in the new digital decade to make this industry to the next level. So without further ado, I would like to share with you some of the inputs and wisdom that our distinguished guests in the podcast has shared with us. So we need to create a sustainable aquaculture movement. This has been one of the highly recommended way to be able to have our fight in terms of bringing this industry to the next level. So that's number one. We have to collaborate together and work together to address the constraints in the industry. So the best way to do that is through the associations with provincial and federal here in Canada. So we need to also join a local or global organization in episode three in season two. We have Tim Kennedy, who is the president of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. So alliances and federations, coalitions, these are some of the buzzwords that were really, really prominent in season two in terms of what arose of how we can solve the regulatory challenges. So speaking of alliances and federations, we had Claire Pribula and Larry Taylor talk about aligning yourself, especially small business owners in the aquaculture industry with an early stage venture capitalist that's in and out of the industry so that you can get someone who can help. Not only we will need the capital, which is very important, as they mentioned, but also having that knowledge and industry relationships to help us get to commercialization. Commercialization is something that's going to stay with us for the long haul and through experience in our own small way in Manatee Holdings, where we focus on shellfish agriculture. This has been one of the biggest challenges is we wish that we've aligned ourselves with financiers right off the bat because it could have helped us better to be able to get our R&D projects, get more involvement, not just with new blood in terms of how they see what our project is about, but more from the viewpoint of what is it going to be like for investors. It's something that money can buy. It's the collaboration. So I remember Claire saying something about it's a twofer to find someone that's got not only the ability to do early stage investment, but also the knowledge base in the industry. And if we're going to survive in this industry, you're going to have to be able to get someone that understand those pain points, somebody who's got those relationships that can help to close the gap with the strategic communities and the R&D that are more than likely going to invest or reinvest in us or even acquire our innovation. Most companies and ag tech and aquatech will probably not go public. They're going to be acquired. So the faster you can close that gap, the better. And I also love what Larry Taylor mentioned in episode four or episode five, I think. So oftentimes, bureaucracy and regulations are seen as hampering or in the way. But he mentioned specifically something that was really brilliant. He'd like to think of this, if we have a well-designed compliance, then they're not going to be a hindrance. And a way to get that 
to some of the organization is really having an alliance, building trust in the seafood and aquaculture industry. The entire purpose of the bureaucratic programming is to allow the quality not only to be achieved at production, but also the credibility by the consumer. And in order to achieve that, they have certification processes and some other quality control that's needed so that the aquaculture industry can have standards and best practices. So yes, there's a cost of time and money to be able to do that and follow the regulations, but it's a way that's the industry's driven. So if we can just have private standards that are then going to be designed by in the industry themselves, there's that conglomerate and coalition against that coming up as a word very much so in season two. The implementer doesn't have to feel they're being imposed upon because these are designed by the industry itself if we can have this conglomerate. So creating relationships through these larger organizations, we can have a forum by which we can present our data. And obviously, the people who are in the regulatory world would not be aware of the most front-edge science because that's not their job, that's ours. So therefore, we need this conglomerate platform or alliances and coalitions to introduce the newest of technologies to the people who are responsible to protect society and nature from whatever is new. And that's a good tension if there are these platforms for good discussions. So there's also the next solution in solving our challenges in terms of regulations is aligned and better communications, dialogues, one shared conversations. These are the themes that came up from season two. So in terms of aligned and better communications, we think we need to leave it to the professionals. We have to leave it to the associations, but really the emphasis that unless you're taking your own leadership and you're sort of embracing the need to communicate with your local and the public, perhaps even regional directly, that we're not going to get ahead. I think we all recognize how important communications is. And so one of our guests mentioned that there are really different ways of doing that. And you can engage your small base employees or larger base employees to get engaged. You can do short videos. They're not difficult to do. Get them out on social media, especially now with just your phone. You can really make this happen easily. Making interesting statements or being creative about how to communicate about the importance of the seafood farming sectors. So we need to do that better. We also need to do it creatively. I think I mentioned in one of the episodes, you know, if you have no Twitter account and be more involved in communicating sustainable aquaculture practices, do so via Twitter or even LinkedIn, any social media that you're familiar with, because everything counts. (laughs) And we also have to look at how do we take up our public communications a notch to both educate but also build that public trust. So I think that's really important that we do that. So it's critical because we're all suffering from that deficit. And I think it's not just our industry. Across the board, businesses, especially after COVID, needs to be more proactive in how we can build trust and pivot. We need that kind to take that torch, do what we can so that companies can get more engagement. And if we have one big voice in the industry, I love what Jennifer Bushman, one of the guests who was talking about dialogues, 
she was talking about, aquaculture has to earn its place at the table of the future of food. And that is so, so, so true. And of course, we have to do a lot of heavy lifting, as she mentioned, but we also have to be communicating what those things are. And the last thing that we want is someone else to own the narrative. And so in her example, she was talking about when a 137-year-old oyster farmer sits in front of a judge and then loses their concession for no other reason than people don't like looking at the farm. She said that's a communication problem, that it is honestly a regulatory issue, frankly, a practices issue. So she was recommending we have to do a better job telling our story. I love that she said that. It's so, so pertinent, especially at this stage of a lot of digitization is happening. And so how can we have both a high touch and high tech in our industry? Because we have to understand that advocacy and policy is often a long journey. So if you have to see this from a lens of a 10-year window, maybe even 20-year window, is a very winding road that we constantly have to be on. So as we look down the road and around the bend at this, it's that we have to be active in this process and not to take for granted the fact that we know what we know in my, I guess, almost 15 years in this industry now. It's a very, 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 did I say very important to have engagements with all the stakeholders, not just in our case, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, um, investors, the public, um, consumers, partners. So this is very important in terms of having these dialogues, First Nations, and in dialogue, we're able to change that, really be present and pay attention to what the stakeholder is needing from us so that we can change the way the industry is looked upon moving forward. It's a significant change in the way in which we looked at this, so dialogue really matters. Can't stress that enough. But you also have to be smart about it, being well-prepared, and you know, you have to be able to... In my head, I have this trick that I do that when I'm, I guess, in opposition with somebody, I imagine myself on top of the ceiling and seeing how both my perspective and the other stakeholders perspective can have a both win situation. And I even already mentioned about one shared conversation. How can we have better instead of lack of coordination? Because the industry, as you know, is very, very fragmented and not connected to different stakeholders. We have different groups, the communication between us, it's very, very fragmented. And this was like 10, 11, maybe even 12 years ago. And the Global Sustainable Seafood Initiative has to have a seafood map. And I remember Amy Novogratz from Aquaspark was talking about there's a number of organizations dedicated that can bring us together so we can have a common language, common commitments, so that we can have that vision, one big vision, one big voice for the aquaculture industry. It's happening. It's a little bit slow, but we can speed it up. And when we've spent really some time looking for solutions, then we have to scale it. I feel like there's a lot of things that are happening that one company is doing not being shared with another company. And so again, if we have this one shared conversation, maybe one 
conglomerate talking about feed and then share that and then we can have real alternative ingredients to fish meal, fish oil, assemble at scale and it will be there in a few more years. And that's kind of everything what we need to be resolved in aquaculture. There's Internet of Things solutions that's already working as well. So if one company can share what they're doing and then the other company may not have to start from scratch. So this is really important now because I don't know if you guys know there's this new trend that's going to be launched this year. It's already launched in some industries called DAO, so Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, which is going to be the new currency after crypto. And it's very important. It's like how Wikipedia in my head, this is how I see DAO would be like Wikipedia is owned by everybody and it's contributed by everybody. There's that one shared conversation that toppled the Encyclopedia Britannica of the industry. If we can have the Tao of aquaculture, then it will help us gain more traction in terms of having one shared conversation. So those are kind of some of the things that our guests shared in terms of sustainable partnerships. The next thing that the second set of our guests shared was about being global, taking responsibility, having market aggregators. And so if you listen to Tony Chen and Rishita and Sir Couturier, this is some of the things that were highlighted in terms of how we can solve regulatory challenges. Tony Chen specifically said, even though they're operating in states and Norway, there's that extreme regulations that happening in two different countries. So if you're global, then you kind of dilute the risk from one location to another. And then Rashita also talked about this in terms of market aggregators. For example, she's in Singapore. If they're collaborating with someone from India, then the two of them can collaborate in terms of how they can put more regulatory structure in place for what they're farming specifically and recognize some of the environmental benefits and economic benefits that they can both have because they're solving it together as a partnership. So I like also what Sear said in the last, I guess, last episode in season two. He talked about not to reduce the red tape. Well, it's also that businesses don't incur this heavy regulatory burden that one of the issues that he was seeing that maybe globally um, generally in different jurisdictions but specifically for canada that both the provinces and territories and federal government have responsibility for aquaculture in various aspects whether it's food safety biosecurity land ownership or water leasing those sort of things and unless we have those departments and agencies connected, then we're going to run into a lot of burden and sometimes even some legislations and regulations that are not really in agreement with one another. And so I hope that you learned a lot in season two. I'm so excited to bring season three with you. But this episode is just solely focusing on what some of our guests mentioned as solutions in solving our regulatory challenges. And so with that, I hope to see and meet most of you. If you send me a message on social media, I'm very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, 
Facebook or Instagram. And just so you know, guys, we also have TikTok. I actually launched the podcast on TikTok as well. So if you can review the podcast, I really appreciate that you do that. I am looking forward to share more of our distinguished guests for season three. Thank you very much and Happy New Year. Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca/podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.